Hi, it's your pal Steam Hams. Join me as I discuss topics in the nerd world such as gaming, movies, cartoons, toys, and whatever else may have you. You can find me on the socials at SteamedHams81, on Twitch, Twitter, currently known as X, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, and as the Unforgettable Luncheon on Facebook. Also, check out Steamed Ham's Merchatorium. Links to all are in the description of this podcast. And don't forget to try my new fan mail link where you can send me a text and tell me how I'm doing. Click that link and send me a message. The Unforgettable Luncheon. Nerd comedy at its okayest. It's Halloween. And you know what that means? Horror games. From the not-so-scary to the ones that make you sleep with the lights on. Thanks, Silent Hill. Horror games are the gift that keep on scaring. Hey, I'm not scared. You're scared. Because today, we're talking about horror games on the Unforgettable Luncheon. It's your pal, Steamed Hams. I hope you're ready for an unforgettable luncheon. Before we begin, I'd like to take a minute to wish a happy 20th birthday to friend of the podcast, Max Rivera. 20 years old, dude. One more year, and I'll buy you a beer. Happy birthday, Max. Horror games have been around since the beginning of video games. Yeah, they weren't so scary back in the Atari or even NES days, but nowadays they can keep you up at night for reasons more than one. Let's take a look at some pretty cool horror games in my book. You know what? We're starting in the NES era with Castlevania II, Simon's Quest, released in the U.S. in 1988. The sequel to the popular Castlevania, where whip-snapping hero Simon Belmont fought various universal monsters, including Dracula, to defeat evil. Now, they changed the format up for this one. The original... uh, Castlevania was a linear platformer, but Castlevania 2 brought about something called the Metrova- uh, Metroidvania subgenre. The Met- Metroidvania genre is based on not only this game, but classic game Metroid. Both have a nonlinear format with lots of backtracking and gated progress. Now, this game takes place seven years after the events of the first game. Simon Belmont learns that a curse was placed on him after his last battle with Dracula. Ooh, scary. He must collect the five parts of Dracula and bring them to the ruins of his castle, seal them, resurrect him, and of course defeat him once again, with no guarantee this being the end of Dracula's evil. Now, with this game, what was interesting is you had a day and night cycle. During the day, you could utilize shops in the village, talk to the villagers for clues. They offer cryptic advice that would lead you to, you know, your next thing that you should get or something you should find, something how to how to solve a puzzle, pretty much. You would encounter weaker enemies in the forest, and, you know, eh, not too bad. You build up experience and build up your guy. It was one of those games where you built up experience and you leveled up. It was nice. Now, once night falls, the village becomes locked up and infested with ghouls. The forest has tons of enemies to battle, and there's a puzzle element to this game, as I'd said with the cryptic clues, that tell you how to maybe solve your next puzzle or to advance in the game somehow. Now, you do a lot of backtracking in this game, hence the Metroidvania genre this was attached to. 
Alright? There are three endings to this game, depending on how fast you complete it. A bad ending, an okay ending, and the good ending. The endings are determined by how fast you complete the game in terms of in-game days. Okay? So if you complete the game in eight or less days, you get the good ending. You take forever, yeah, you won't die. Alright, I always wanted this game, but never actually owned it. I only got to, like, rent it or friends brought it over, you know, got to play it. Okay? And, of course, being a kid, I wanted the end real quick. So, cheat codes became the norm, and I got the Dracula, beat Dracula, and got the ending, which I didn't know there were multiple endings. So, I always thought I just got it. There was a good ending to it. So, ha! You know... I was only like seven or eight years old when this came out, so I kind of didn't get the whole you got to search for stuff uh, and backtrack deal. I was used to the first Castlevania where it was just like point A, point B, whip lots of shit, and whip it good. It is a fun game, and if you can find it on an emulator or anything like that, definitely get your hands on it. It's a lot of fun. Next, we're headed to the PlayStation era with two games from the PS1 era. First, we're going to talk about Resident Evil. Released in 1996, the game follows the Raccoon City PD's STARS team, Special Tactics and Rescue um, Specialists or something like that. I forget. Uh, It's, but, you know, Special Tactics and Rescue. All right. So, moving on. You get to play as either Chris Redfield or Jill Valentine, and... Basically, you go on a mission with your team to an abandoned mansion in the outskirts of Raccoon City to search for missing teammates and to investigate the seeming horrors that are coming out of this abandoned mansion. Okay. As I said, you can play as either Chris or Jill, with uh, each having their own strengths and weaknesses compared to one another, with Chris being stronger, more health, um, but he has fewer item slots than Jill. But he has a lighter that can actually solve some other puzzles much earlier than if you were playing as Jill. Whereas Jill has more item slots and a lockpick that Chris doesn't. So she can basically get past um, doors that normally need keys that Chris would have to search for the keys. Alright, so you're exploring this mansion. You're running into zombies, mutants, all sorts of crazy shit. You find out that this is a front for clandestine experiments for the evil Umbrella Corporation. You battle zombies and other mutants, you know. Resource management's a huge thing, you know. You only have so many slots, but you need stuff. So you start to combine things. You get the medicinal herbs. You get, like, two of these. Boom, you put them together. It clears up one slot makes something stronger. You got extra ammo laying around. Your gun's running dry. Boom, throw it in there. It clears it up, or you can combine the ammo into, into boxes and... You know, get that going. So, like, honestly, the worst part of this game was the tank controls. So, for those of you who don't know, all those youngins who didn't have to deal with tank controls, basically what it was was you had to turn your guy to whatever direction you were going. So you press right and he turns right. And then you press up and he moves forward or down and he moves backwards. I fucking hate those. You know what else has tank controls? The Crow, City of Angels. Yeah, that fucking game had tank controls. That was a hand-to-hand combat game. You didn't get no shooting. Well, you did kind of get shooting, but it was rare. Oh, sweet Jesus, I'm having flashbacks now. Okay, moving on. Anyways, you know, this game not only had multiple enemies to battle, but puzzles to solve. Okay, 
This one also had multiple endings based on certain actions throughout the game, like, you know, you find your missing partner, be it Chris or Jill. They help. They can help you defeat Tyrant at the end. You don't find them. They permanently die, and ah, Tyrant gets away, and you fucked. So, um, I mean, it, the first one was a lot of fun. I actually, the first time, played the director's cut. That's the first version of Resident Evil itself that I played. Um, but my first actual Resident Evil game was Resident Evil 3. You know, Nemesis. You know, I remember not being able to rent it until I, like, hit 17 because my video store had labeled it as NC-17, which is higher than R for you kids who don't know what the hell that is. You know, because it was an M-rated game. So I either had to have one of my parents with me or when I hit 17, boom, I got the game. Now, this actually spawned a franchise of both games and movies that get crazier as they go on. Now, the movies suffer from sequel-itis, so they get more and more fucking ridiculous as they go. The games, they they branch out some pretty good stuff. Like, the T-Virus kind of goes away after about the third one, after Raccoon City gets nuked. And they get a couple other viruses, like Las Plagas. And uh, I think that's about it. There's another one, but I can't remember. Off the top of my head, I couldn't find it. You know, and it's infecting, like, villagers and people in other countries. And you're going out and fighting all that. It's actually pretty cool. I haven't played 2, 4, 7, and 8, but one day I shall. I'm working on it. And there were actually uh, some pretty solid remakes of 2 and 3. I do own 3. I don't own the remake to 2. I do want to get my hands on it. There have been Resident Evil, uh, Code Veronica, and uh, Survivor, and other ones uh, throughout the consoles and arcade and... There's actually, what is it, in the arcade, it's called Biohazard Gun Survivor. And that's pretty cool, actually. I played that in Japan, and I played that at, where else? Galloping Ghost Arcade. Um, because Biohazard is the actual name for uh, Resident Evil in Japan. So, fun fact. Definitely check out the Resident Evil series if you have not. It's a lot of fun. Now, in 1999, Silent Hill was released for the PlayStation 1. Okay, this game creeped me out enough at 17 to the point where I actually slept with the lights on during the entire time I had rented this fucking game. Hey, don't judge, okay? It gets in your head. The game follows a man named Harry Mason as he searches the abandoned and monster-filled town of Silent Hill in search of his adopted, adopted daughter Cheryl. On his way to the town, Harry swerves to miss a child in the road, crashing his car and losing consciousness. He wakens in the town to find Cheryl missing, and the town deserted and covered with fog. With the help from police officer Sybil Bennett, who came from another town to investigate the weird goings-on in Silent Hill, Harry searches the town for Cheryl, battling both bouts of unconsciousness and horrible monsters, and also horrible fucking humans. Because why not? Harry discovers an insane conspiracy involving cultists and an evil deity that needs Cheryl to complete a ritual. Now, the fog was cool because it was actually a tool to save on memory and processing power, meaning it would only render scenery as you got close because you can't see it in the fog. So I thought that was pretty fucking clever. You know, Harry, and being an actual everyman, he gets winded when he runs. His aim isn't that great because 
he doesn't have all the experience in the role of firearms. You get these schmucks that get like just dropped into a situation. All of a sudden, they're swinging samurai swords and firing rifles like it's nothing, you know, or chainsaw hands and shotguns. Ash. I bet people are surprised they didn't do an Evil Dead game for this. I thought about it, but I didn't. You know, as I said, this game is creepy as fuck. You know, it, it really did a number on me when I played it. I still have a little bit of, like, damage from it. You know, but again, there are multiple endings depending on how you do during certain parts of the game. You know, I'm sensing a theme with these games. And this is another one that spawns sequels and movies. Sensing another theme with horror games. Hmm... Now, if you can get your mitts on this one or any of the sequels, do check them out. They're a lot of fun. They're super creepy. And if that's your thing, hey, you just found a new favorite series. Now, we're going to move into the original Xbox era with Doom 3 from 2004. Doom 3 is like a jump-scared nightmare in my book. Because these fuckers come out of the dark out of nowhere. I invented more swear words than the dad on a Christmas story stubbing his freaking toe. Okay, in this particular Doom sequel, you play an unnamed Marine, shocker, arriving on Mars to begin a tour of duty, guarding a base run by the United Aeronautics Corporation, which has been conducting teleportations experiments on Mars. Because that'll turn out well. Somehow, a portal to hell opens, and demons come through, slaughtering and transforming humans into zombies. Now, this game makes you real uneasy as it goes along, because you have to traverse through the dark most of the time, having to choose between a flashlight so you can see, and a gun so you don't get killed. Although, that was in the PC version, I believe they did fix it to where you could hold both at the same time with the Xbox version. I'll have to go into my uh, Xbox... Series X here and see if that is true because it actually got released for the one, so I know it's backwards compatible. Okay. Uh, it has a linear progression. It does have an actual storyline. Okay. With choices to be made, which affect the story to a point. Okay. You become unsure of who to trust. What's going to happen next? Who's working with the demons? And who's fighting them? You don't know. People that you trust all of a sudden can be like, Hey, motherfucker, I've been possessed the whole time. Welcome to hell. And there's some people you couldn't trust. They're like, dude, I'm really the good guy. Come on, let's fight these bastards. You know? This game was fucking insane. Okay, it was it was tough, but it was insane. Even on easy mode, it was nuts. You know, it is available on current-gen consoles. I enjoyed it immensely back in the day. I do have to give it a replay because I downloaded it and played it for a little bit, but kind of fell by the wayside, so... Check it out if you can. Finally, we're going to do a little mix of retro and new with The Spectre Files, Deathstalker, for arcades and available on Steam for PCs. Now, this game is an absolute freaking blast, okay? It's an interactive full-motion film that was originally made in 1983-84, intended to be a Laserdisc arcade game for Bally, you know, much like... Uh, Space Ace and Dragon Quest, you know, or was it? No, how am I saying Dragon Quest? Dragon's Lair. All right. Um, but, of course, 
It was created by and filmed by Brian Colin, one of the creators of the legendary Rampage. You know that game that I spent 22 hours finishing all 768 levels of one year ago for Extra Life. Now, the game sat uncompleted in his garage until about 2015-2016 because by the time he finished, Bally decided, eh, we're not going with, uh, we're not going with Lizards anymore, so sorry, dude. And, of course, Brian gave it to Doc Mack at Galloping Ghost Productions, and they finished it and released it as an arcade game in 2016. Now, this game is like a must-play for me every time I go to the arcade, even though I have it on my damn laptop, okay? Every time I take someone new to the arcade, I'm like, dude, you have to play this game. It is a lot of fun. Okay, the game follows Private Gumshoe, Ed Spector, as he searches the abandoned Durhatchet Institute for the extremely bizarre for the missing Buffy McGuffin. If you don't know what a McGuffin is, it is a device that drives the plot. Pun or joke, whatever you want to call it. There's lots of them in this game. Okay, it is a choose-your-own-adventure style game with choices at certain spots that could harm you or help you or not do much. You know, every choice advances the plot. A good choice gets you closer to solving the mystery. A bad choice hurts you. No two playthroughs are alike unless you keep notes and you kind of start doing it over and over again. Practice makes perfect. There's a ton of references throughout to different movies and and horror legends like The Mummy, Psycho, The Wolfman. You know, there's a couple of different Psycho references in there that are pretty goddamn funny. Okay, a lot of good puns, jokes, and gags to keep you laughing. I mean, who doesn't want to tickle an attacking Frankenstein's monster to distract him? I certainly do. I've done it. It's fun. And the final boss is a vampire named Count Yorchikunsky. How you meet him depends on you. Now you can find this game at the Galloping Ghost Arcade and check it out in its original form. Or if you can't make it there, it's available for the princely sum of a whole $10 on Steam. Yes, this is a shameless plug for the game, which is available. I say check it out. I can honestly go on and on about this game all the stupid gags that I found, all the things that make me laugh, but you need to see it for yourself. Okay, so check it out. Well, that's it for another unforgettable luncheon. I hope a good time was had by all. You can find me on my socials as SteamedHams81 on, on X, formerly known as Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and Instagram, and now on TikTok. And you can also find me as the Unforgettable Luncheon on Facebook. And don't forget to check out my merch store, Steamed Ham's Merchtorium. Links for all of that are in the description of this episode. Now, special announcement. This weekend, November 4th and 5th, 2023, I will be playing Extra Life, a charity to raise money for Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. I will be playing for Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. I'll be doing two 12-hour streams, one on each day. One day will focus on retro gaming. One day we'll focus on Mortal Kombat, Tom Clancy's Division 2, and maybe a little bit of Injustice. Okay, I'm looking to raise $1,000 this year. To be honest, I haven't been able to raise much this year because life has kind of gotten at me, but every penny helps. You can find a link to my fundraising page in the description of this episode, along with, of course, the link to my other links. 
Any help is appreciated, even if you can't donate. Please go to the page and share it on your socials. Maybe somebody else is able to donate where you cannot. Well, I'm your host, Steamed Hams. Join me next time when the topic will be something nerdy.